record. The kind of summers I want in Atlantic City have nothing to do with old slim dick summers. Welcome to episode 69, dudes, of the Mutant Musings podcast. It's the middle of April 2020, and we'll be discussing some classic comics. I'm your host, Jonathan, and with me as always is my lady. Come, come, my lady. You're my butterfly, sugar, baby. Patty. Here's your friendly reminder that you can leave us a comment on this episode's webpage on geekade.com. Leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes or anywhere else you find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at mutant underscore musings underscore podcast and follow us on Twitter at mutant musings. Don't sleep on this exclusive offer to follow us as we shitpost about the X-Men. Also, don't sleep on my bed. No one else is allowed to sleep on my bed except for Patty. And not just any Patty, this very specific and very special Patty. That means no burger patty, no patty cake, no patty labelle, no patty whack, no patty mayonnaise, no crabby patty, no chatty patty, no patty's day, no patty from Cincinnati, no pad thai, no peppermint patty, no patty duke, no patty wagon, and no patty boom batty. Get away from my bed, all you patty are driving me batty. And speaking of 69, can you believe that it's our 69th episode? Let's all enjoy this 69 together. I'm super happy that you're 69ing with us right now. You can officially say that you have 69 with Mutant Musings. In fact, I hope someone makes an I've 69 with Mutant Musings fucking t-shirt. There's your explicit content warning. That was great. Was it? Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I liked it better when you read it. Aw. I saved that recording. I might throw that in as a post credit scene. <laughs> I didn't remember how that song went, though, so it doesn't sound good. It sounds fine. You saying it is better than me singing it. Do you remember? Do you remember that song? I do. I know that song, but I like for I like lost the beat of it or something. I don't know. I don't think I don't think the beat ever mattered to Crazy Town. You know, they were at um, it was uh, might have been two thousand one. I didn't go um to Ozfest that year. I think it was either 2000 or 2001 that they were at Ozfest and they got booed off stage. <laughs> I feel like that happened the year that I went to Ozfest too, but to who? I don't remember. Okay. I don't think I've ever seen that happen like in in person at a concert where like a band or whatever got booed off a stage. But a, a not bad song is something that we were just listening to a little bit before we started recording. Patty was listening to a ska jam. and Not uh, intentionally, okay? It came <laughs> up on my Facebook and I was like, what is this? Okay, but I don't have any context all the way over here. So all I heard was a ska jam coming through, coming through my earbuds. So I was like, all right, let's get a ska jam on. So I typed in ska jam into the search bar and a fucking... A fucking um, Fat Lip by Sum 41 came up as a result. So I was like, oh my God, I have not heard that song in forever. And so we listened to part of that. Um, I feel like we always listen to songs from like that era on our road trips. And I feel like we listened to that last time. No, but we definitely did well, not. We have not before. that song. Um, really? And, yes. And huh. I miss our road trips. I miss our road trips too, but we'll have road trips again. 
You heard that uh, San Diego Comic Con is canceled. Yes, I and did. Anime, I did hear anime Expo too. I heard both of those things. Uh, I guess I guess yesterday when it happened. I mean, you know, it's better that they're trying to play it safe. You know, I mean, it sucks. I mean, I've seen a bunch of people who were planning on going to those um, who were, you know, upset about it, but they all seem to understand too. And so do I. I mean, like the numbers, I'm hoping anyway, knock on wood, that the numbers are going to have, you know, lessened a lot by then. But still, why take the risk to, to have the numbers spike again? Why put you know, so many people in this small area together, you know, just so it can make a resurgence because then all those people are going to take it back home and then it's going to, you know, start being widespread again. So I don't, you know, I definitely don't fault anybody for that decision. And it it sucks for the people who are looking forward to going. But like I said, all the comments I saw, people understood that it was, that it was happening as much as it sucks. We'll see what happens with, with New York. You know, I mean, that that's a ways off. It's in October. A lot of time will have gone by by then, but still at the same time, who knows if we're going to be completely in the clear by then. And if they cram all those people into the Javits Center, which is now effectively a hospital, there's a chance that it could come back. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But, you know, I it's all this sucks, but it is so much smarter to play it safe than to fucking risk uh, an, an enormous second wave of this thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm upset that you know, ours got canceled, our con that we go to. But I mean, it's in June. So I understand that. But like, everybody just stay the fuck home. And <laughs> we can go to conventions again. I don't yeah. care about the economy. I don't give a fuck about the economy. What's the economy ever done for me? <laughs> I just want to go and get drunk in a hotel lobby. Oh my god, Patty. All right, well, that's that's enough about scary stuff. Uh, we do have a new episode. This is our final episode, at least final as in the way we've been doing things. Uh, we're not doing this the way we've been doing it anymore. We can't do twice a month. We're still going to have some more new episodes, definitely this year, and we'll see what happens beyond that. But as far as, as, far as new episodes go, this is going to be it for a little bit. And we also still have no new comics right now. That's supposedly going to start happening again uh soon dc is going to be putting a few new things out but then diamond is supposed to be supposedly going to be back up and running by the end of may hopefully so we'll see what happens but for a final episode i did ask for some suggestions and we sort of took a couple one was on my mind for for a couple reasons lately i don't know why it popped into my head but i was thinking about ruby summers lately and then i was like okay well that was x factor volume three and we were just talking last episode about how peter david picked up x factor again in the 2000s and how patty still loves that and i loved it too it was great i was i was you know reading all that regularly when it was coming out uh so yeah so that's what we're going to talk about we're going to talk about some of x factor volume three the specific run of it starts with x factor special layla miller and concludes in x factor volume three number 50 so this is essentially about 11-ish issues. Um, and this, of course, Peter David. And Valentine DeLandro is credited with most of the art. And Marco Santucci is also credited on some of the pencils. I honestly could not tell too much of a difference if there were two artists. But I noticed in one of the issues it said, uh, we incorrectly credited Marco Santucci last issue. It was DeLandro. 
So I don't know why he kept getting credited unless that was all a fucking mistake. And there was only one penciler on all these issues. So yeah, so that's that's maybe a, a snafu. I don't know. But anyway, these aren't too old. This was coming out from 2008 to 2009. And it kind of kicked off around the time Messiah Complex was happening. You remember that? You remember the baby? I remember there was a baby and Bishop was trying to kill it. Yeah. Yeah, it was a devil baby. It was a devil man baby. Devil man crybaby. So, yeah. So, you know, I mean, this was uh, this was all pretty good. What I thought was super interesting about all of this is how... You know, this whole storyline sort of kicks off an X-Factor special, Layla Miller, and then it runs through, like I said, around 11 issues. And early on, it seems like there are all these different stories going on at once, which is fine. You know, like not everything has to be linear and just follow, you know, one particular plot point that a couple of characters are going through. But I liked how like none of it seemed connected initially. And then by the end, by issue 50, like everything ended up tying together and concluding in one issue. And I thought that was really awesome and a really neat thing that Peter David did. It was neat. (laughs) Thanks. I really enjoyed this series. Um, Going back and reading these bunch of issues, I actually completely forgot that Darwin was in this series. (laughs) Really? Yeah. So, oops. So this is where we bring in that weird, like, Layla is an adult now, and immediately she and Madrox kiss, which is so weird. That's one way of putting it. Madrox only knew her as a child. Yes. So she just comes in as an adult, and he's like, oh, I'm gonna fuck you. (laughs) Oh, man. That is even more problematic than what actually happened. I am <laughs> kind of concerned that I laughed so hard. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we'll 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 get there cuz there were some other disturbing things that that led up to that. But yes, that was a thing that happened. She she was not a girl and not I was not yet a woman. But she yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, so little Layla is is in the future and ended up getting put in a fucking mutant camp. And uh, she escaped and she knew because she knows stuff. That's Layla Miller's whole thing. For those of you who forgot, she she knows stuff. So she knew she needed to get to Atlantic City. And so that was cool. She got there. And there was an old guy on a bench and a lady with uh, with red skin. Yeah, so it's apparently it's old man Scott, and he fucking, he slaps Layla, he's got this big mechanical arm, he's super angry that she knew so much and could have fucking stopped shit from happening, but I I don't know. Then, you know, she starts crying and Scott apologizes, and it was kind of silly, and we don't really understand it yet, but, like, Scott looks really weird, super old, in this style, and, like, with a fucking, like, giant mechanical arm and leg. And he's got, like, a metal plate on his head. Yeah, and he's bald. He's got a but he's not completely bald. He's got a big bald spot. He was just really weird looking. That's not what like old man Scott looks like to me. I don't know what old man Scott looks like, but that wasn't it. But anyway, we meet Ruby. This is Scott and Emma's daughter. They had a daughter, everyone. They said that it was that she was Emma's daughter. Uh if they didn't uh explicitly say it, it's 
heavily, heavily implied that this is Emma's, Scott and Emma's daughter. Why, were you unsure? Yeah, I don't think they said who the mom was. It's definitely Emma, though. Because, well, the context clue first is that they were together at the time. So if they're going to do this future sort of thing, we can assume that Scott and Emma stayed together and had a child in some capacity. Now, that's not a very concrete uh, clue, but the biggest one is that she has a her ruby form. That isn't just her red skin. She can uh, change. Like Emma has a diamond form. Ruby has a ruby form. That's stupid. Why is that stupid? That makes sense. I hate sense. them together. <laughs> but that makes all the sense. So that's why. But you never see her change out of her ruby form because she's afraid that she'll age like rapidly in seconds. So, you know, basically, uh, this is, uh, this is you know, the dystopian future sort of trope, but it was neat because it went on for a while and it was sort of like an expanded days of future past. You know what I mean? Like, that was a great story, but at the time, it was only two issues to see what kind of a future mutants were facing. And this wasn't the only story that ran through X-Factor Volume 3, but you got to see a lot more of sort of like this dystopian future and mutants fighting back against it. Because I, I, what I really enjoyed about this was Ruby, this little bit of a spotlight on Ruby. You know, she was a, definitely a secondary character to all this because Volume 3 of X-Factor had a lot of characters Peter David was juggling and they were all getting some focus in one way or another. Ruby was not, but it was still neat to see her part of this rebellion fighting Sentinels and shit as the government was opening up testing centers to get all uh, U.S. citizens to be tested to find out if there was a mutant gene anywhere in their history. Sort of like the one-drop rule, where back in the day, like the 1800s, if you had like one drop of African blood in you, you were considered a black person and you could be a slave. So it's a similar thing, and I thought that that was a super interesting contrast. They didn't expand on that too much. It was more of Layla and eventually Madrox trying to fix the future because that's what we do in these time travel stories is we fix the future, right? Yeah, and Layla knew that it was going to happen and she brought it up to these two guys who were like, oh, these uh, mutant protesters or whatever, that's stupid. And she told them about it and she's like, oh, well, you guys don't have to worry, right? You have, you, you can track you know generations back and you know that there's no mutants and they're like yeah i think so and then they start you know advocating for the mutant cause and they have these like transmitters in their heads so it like goes onto the internet really quickly and then everybody knows this that the government hadn't even like actually announced yet and everybody starts freaking out so she gets the shit stirred and yeah that was awesome so go layla you like shit stirring. I do. <laughs> and I love Layla. I don't think that she needed to be shipped with Jamie. The thing is, is what Peter David did here, which is, is very problematic, and you're kind of just forced to deal with it and get used to it immediately, is he ages Layla Miller and then has her come to the present to grab jamie prime and bring him back to the future and it it, like like you said it's almost immediate that that they're a thing because he notices her hips and her quote-unquote 
things. And then when they make the time jump, he lands with his hands on her breasts. And she says something about him being on her things. And so, like, we're not there yet where they're kissing or fucking. But already, it's uncomfortable. And as much as I did enjoy this, it's not my favorite story. Nowhere near it. I did enjoy this story. Um, This is just a glaring problem, which we're probably going to have to circle back to a couple of times, is that this happened. And I do remember, you know, social media wasn't quite, uh, quite the way it is now back then. But there were people voicing their discontent with this being a thing um, between a suddenly aged Layla and Jamie, who had only known her as a child. But what I'm what I think is if this same situation happened now instead, there would have been a huge shitstorm. There would have been repercussions more than just nothing, which is what happened. The story was able to continue the way it was. So back in the real world, in our time, there's this lady, Lenore. So she, like, hires the team to protect her because somebody's going to kill her. And this is just after the story of Madrox and the baby. Um, oh, wait, 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 Patty, what baby are you talking about? <laughs> Patty, there are so many babies. The absorbing baby. <laughs> The absorbing baby? Is that what they called the absorbing man when yes. he was a baby? When he was a baby, yes. The Thor villain. The Thor and Avengers villain absorbing man. That was his code name when he was a child. It was, it was absorbing baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my favorite X Factor story. <laughs> <laughs> can you um can you give a brief recap for anybody who hasn't read it? Yeah, so Jamie Madrox uh, had sex with Siren and Monet at the same time. Not in the same room, because one of them had sex with one and a dupe had sex with the other. Uh, But Siren got pregnant. And it was this whole big thing, like, oh my god, she's going to have a baby. Is it going to be a mutant M-Day? Who knows? What's going to happen? She's going to name it Sean. She's going to name it Sean after her dead father. And then she has the baby... She has the baby, and Madrox goes to touch it, and then it disappears <laughs> in, <laughs> into Madrox because it was a clone baby. <laughs> not, not a clone, comma, baby, period. It was a <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was just a clone baby. <laughs> Man, this is terrible. This is all why are we talking about all these terrible things? I'm glad this is our final episode, you guys. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, okay, we needed that context to discuss what's happening after that. Did we? Yes. Because so at the same time that this Lenora is seeking protection, the team also finds out that there is a Jamie Dupe living out on his own in the middle of nowhere, John, and he's like a priest. And uh, they think that like somebody is going to kill him or whatever. So it was Richter and Guido were like, oh, hey, let's let's go check that out. And Siren's like, no, Siren was mad at Mantra. <laughs> so they go anyway. And in the meantime, Longshot is watching Lenore who is who outright says something like i'm very sexually attracted to you and long shot <laughs> is like thanks most women are 
<laughs> Isn't he the best character? Man, <laughs> they did such a good job developing his character that to, to to reach that level of perfect craftsmanship of dialogue right there. <laughs> but I don't, I think you just hit the nail on the head. I don't think he said sexually attracted, but he said yes, most women are attracted to me. Later, he comes back and says, yes, most women are attracted to me, but are eventually repulsed by me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Man, that was a good time. Yeah, so we make the time jump again, and we find out that this future is 80 years in the future. Dr. Doom is in here. Yeah, I loved how they included Doom in this story. I really did. Old Man Doom is so good. It really is, because he's, like, part Old Man Doom, but he's part, like, you know, middle-aged Man Doom, like we know him. It's just, it it was crazy to see all this. You know, because Layla brings Jamie to the future for her own reasons, because she knows stuff. But, you know, as far as, like, Scott and Ruby and the Rebellion are concerned, what's happening is, is, like, the future is sort of blinking in and out. Um, there's this one woman who is a part of the rebellion named Hecate and, uh, she like blinked out of existence for a couple of seconds. Scott is concerned about this and wants to know why. And, you know, Jamie being this fucking, uh, investigator now is going to help and he needs somebody who's well-versed in time travel. And he says he needs someone like Reed Richards. And Scott is like, no, Reed Richards died a while ago. And, Jamie's like, no, I said like Reed Richards. So that's where Old Man Doom comes into this. And I give so many props to the way that Doom is introduced in this timeline because at first it's normal. You see him in this sort of like fucking mansion. It's like this beautiful big room, this fucking grand piano. Furniture's nice. He's playing some fucking concerto. His butler's there. Everything's beautiful. And he's like sitting on this throne, welcoming them. And then you cut back to the three of them talking to each other. And then when you cut back to Doom, it's all been the way he views himself. It's not reality. And this was amazing because you see Doom in a wheelchair. He's got vomit stains on his like on his shirt. He's wearing a towel over his pants. Um, he's got fucking like boils and shit on his arms. And like IVs and oxygen tanks and shit. Yeah. Just any accessory they could give him. Yeah, his butler is like this broken down doom bot. He's living in a decrepit, empty apartment. It was amazing. And like I said earlier, I wasn't, I, I don't know if I said it earlier, but I wasn't a big fan of, of the art. It was okay most of the time. Sometime it was downright bad. But this was a really effective use of, of art to get your point across of just how far gone Dr. Doom is. His mind is gone, and he comments a couple of times throughout the rest of the story that he has occasional moments of lucidity, but he's he knows that he's sort of losing it. He he called um he called Cyclops Mr. Clops. I love that. And he was like, you know who I am. And Doom was like, No, you're not an equal. It would be it would be presumptuous for me to call you Cy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Mr. Klops. That's so adorable. <laughs> he sounds like 
He sounds like a character on Sesame Street. Like if Scott Summers ever went on on Sesame Street, Elmo would call him Mr. Klops. <laughs> so that was that was a lot of fun. So back in the real world, Lenore, her mom comes to kill her, but she shoots herself instead. Um, that was fun. Yeah, that was weird. But Longshot's power made it so that like the bullet missed her or whatever lenora can't really deal with this sexy man that she wants to bone and <laughs> his power is not really working which is why she yeah. rejects him and he says that line so darwin says okay i'll do it and then monet is like okay i'll do it too yeah but monet had tried getting inside lenora's mom's head first Oh, right, right. That comes back because she gets like this really bad feedback and she says cortex. Uh, and the team doesn't understand exactly what she says at first, um, but that's that's going to come back. And that's why Monet starts to seemingly act a little weird. Why she's so happy to go along with Darwin. And in fact, when Richter and Guido go find the Madrox dupe that's living on his own, uh, Shatterstar was following them and he says Cortex too. So it's kind of like, what what's going on here? What is this Cortex thing that these people are saying? Yeah, and Shatterstar tried killing them all and so Guido and Richter were like, see, we need to stay here to protect you. And, yeah. you know, and then Shatterstar got better and he was like, nobody was trying to kill me until you showed up and then that guy tried to kill me, the guy who's with you. Who you want to protect me. Yeah. And they're like, okay, we'll go. Yeah, I feel like that was the end of John Maddox in this story because he only was put in danger because Madrox Prime showed up and then because Strong Guy and uh, Richter showed up. So he's kind of like, if you guys go away, maybe people will stop coming and trying to kill me. Also, uh, Richter and Shatterstar kissed. Yeah. So good for them. Yeah, so good for them. Um, one thing that I have not been a huge fan of, though, is how Peter David has tried to downplay that over the years. He always says the same line when somebody brings it up. It was on page 23, panel 5. I don't know why everybody made it such a big deal. And, like, bro, you know what you were doing, and it is an amazing thing, but also you can kind of just, you know, own up and be like, yeah, I did that because I think that's a great thing, and this is something that... We should be able to someday say, yeah, no big deal. Page 23, you know, panel six or whatever the fuck it was. This was the first time that two major characters, I believe, in any comic, especially the big two, had kissed on panel. There was a page or two in Ecstatics. It was from like far away and it was just like a little kiss goodbye but these two were, were making out. It was shown that one kiss in one issue, I think it was issue 45, and then I think it was issue 46, where the kissing continued. And that's, that is a big deal. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I see what he's saying, too, I guess, in a way. But I feel like he also probably doesn't want to come off as like, yeah, I'm amazing. Look what I did for <laughs> gay rights, you know? I, I, see, I see what you're saying, because, you know, he's... As far as we know, he's a, he's a straight guy. So yeah, why would I, I? I get what you're saying. Yeah, you're probably right. It's probably better to be more humble about it than be like, yeah, I'm a champion for. Yeah, okay, I get you. Well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, 
In the midst of all this, Jamie and Layla had sex. Yes, they did. Yeah. This this wasn't interesting that, that they show. After the two of them had sex, Jamie's got his shirt off, and you see scratch marks on his body. And it's because of Siren trying to claw the baby out of him. And that is really fucking dark. And really messed up. So Oh yeah, and he yeah. was he was going to kill himself when Layla showed up. He like had a gun. Yeah. And he was gonna yeah. kill himself. He was in really fucking bad shape. He he really was. So yeah. So this there is an actual guy who calls himself Cortex, and we get the sense that he's a villain because he was watching Shatterstar attack Richter and Guido. Uh, Cortex had control of Shatterstar for a little while. And then we get these seedy guys in the future, uh, one of whom is like the science director for the president, uh, contacting Cortex in the present. So somehow they're able to contact each other from the future into the present. And so this starts connecting some of the plot lines. What's going on in the present is directly connected to the future. So Cortex is the one who's trying to get rid of Lenore, the woman that X-Factor is trying to protect, and her offspring, apparently. And then we find out that Monet was being so flirty with Darwin because she's infected with Cortex, too. They were, Monet and Darwin were keeping watch over Lenore, and they all decided to get drunk. Lenore passed out, and Darwin finally realized that Monet was being so sexually aggressive because something is wrong, and then she finally attacks him. So everybody's getting infected with this fucking Cortex thing. We get a... Oh, we get a plot device. Uh, Doom apparently can create something so your actions in the past directly impact when you go back to the future. Instead of creating another timeline. Yeah, instead of creating a separate timeline. And then all of a sudden, Sentinels attack in the present. These future Sentinels pop into the present and start attacking as Siren starts coming after Monet, they disappeared from the future because of Fitz. And Fitz is what Ruby calls him. Fitz? His name is Fitz? If the glove don't Fitz, you must quits. <laughs> <laughs> it's Fitzroy! It's Trevor Fitzroy is Fitz. I remember him. He's the glove that don't Fitz. Uh, Fitzroy. Yeah, apparently he was a good guy. Apparently he was a good guy once. You remember when, when Fitzroy was a good guy? What a swell yeah. fella. <laughs> Fitzy boy the Fitzroy was such a good guy. Wasn't he in that, uh, what's it called? The game? The the Upstarts? <laughs> yeah, he was in the Upstarts. Okay. He was in the Upstarts. You know how he, he managed to get himself into the Upstarts? By killing the fucking Hellions, this motherfucker. This oh, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this motherfucker. Jamie sees it and was like, yo, that's that's Fitzroy. We need to stop him. We need to stop him before he comes. He becomes evil. And Layla uh, tells him to shut up. We're not going to do anything about it. Apparently, Ruby knows what Fitzroy is going to become, but she cares about him now. No, Aunt, I want my Fitz dick in now. Yeah, and he, like, pops in and out of this rebellion group that Ruby is in. Yeah. Uh, he just kind of shows up when he wants to. Yeah. But she loves him, so... That's, that's bullshit. I loved Ruby. I really did. Again, she didn't get too much development. Uh, she was pretty aggressive, which was awesome. 
Her design is amazing. I just love the way that she looks. Uh, her energy signature with her optic blasts was inconsistent. And I don't know if that was on purpose. Sometimes it was red and sometimes it was black. And I thought that that was super fucking cool because sometimes she would have the energy would like kind of curl around her eyes and it was like red and black at the same time. It was a really neat contrast. And also she had uh, she had complete control over her optic blast, which makes sense uh, that she would be able to because Scott inherently is pathetic. Ex- excuse me. I'm sorry. I couldn't hear. I, I couldn't hear. It sounded like a bunch of nonsense just came out of your mouth, Patty. I'm uh-huh. not. I'm not sure. <laughs> It's been how many fucking years? <laughs> this guy still cannot control his stupid eyes. <laughs> Patty, that's so mean. As you, as a glasses wearer, should feel, <laughs> should feel solidarity with Scott Summers. <laughs> all right, anyway. In the present, the team all kind of comes together on Lenore's location, and they find Cortex, and uh, they manage to cut his control to Monet, and one of the ugliest faces I've ever seen drawn in my entire life is in this comic when Monet is naked. And I suppose that it's it's best that she's making an ugly face. Less chance that people are going to fap on it. But she punches him. So this is happening now. We find out, you know, why people are getting possessed in the present and doing fucked up things. It's because of this guy, Cortex. Now, in the future, why are all these sentinels going after all these mutants is because of this guy named Falcone or Falcone. I don't know how you pronounce that. There's an E at the end. It looks like it should be cone, but it could be Coney, like baloney. No, it's Falcone. <laughs> My Falcone has a first name and it's O-S-T-A-R. All right. Anyway, so Falcone wants, he, he wants all mutants to die because his parents were killed by mutants when he was a child. Wow. <laughs> I feel like even at the end of the 2000s, that was already like a silly thing that we didn't need to be some human villain's origin. Like, oh, you killed my parents. So. He could have become Batman. <laughs> he could have become Batman. Or Spider-Man. Or the Falcon. His name is Falcone. Or the Falcon. He could have been the Falcon Man, maybe. I don't know. But apparently this, this old bearded guy named Mr. Trip is responsible for kind of stoking Falcone's hatred of mutants because Mr. Trip met Falcone when he was a child and uh, was like, one day we'll get our revenge. And apparently also Mr. Trip is the one who got Jamie's parents killed. Uh, so these were kind of like weird little things that Peter David decided to throw in to make more things tie together. But I don't know. I guess it kind of worked. So we find out that Lenore in the present is Hecate's mom. That's why Cortex wants to kill her. Uh, this was a silly supervillain explanation, though. He, he Cortex even says that he could have gone back to before Lenore was born and killed her mom, but it wouldn't have given X-Factor a sporting chance, and he wanted to give X-Factor a sporting chance. So Richter and Guido and Shatterstar are on their way back to meet up with the team. And they have a really uncomfortable exchange while driving. uh, Because I feel like it was drawn out a little too long. I get that Guido would be the type of character who would initially be uncomfortable finding out that Richter was possibly bisexual. Yeah, I agree. Again, I feel like already 10, 
11 years ago was a very different time than we're living in now because social media has so many people more connected and supportive of each other and vocal about the things that they are okay and are not okay with. So I'd like to think that somebody wouldn't try writing this now or that this wouldn't make it onto the page. But also, not for nothing, I do remember Rob Liefeld being very vocal, surprise or fucking prize, being very vocal about how his creation, Shatterstar, kissed a man and how pissed off he was about that. Wow. Peter David was basically like, too bad, bro. You don't own the character and you don't have the final say in what happens to the character. Oh, so um, then... Shatterstar decided, oh, well, you know what? I have this cool power that nobody knew about until now. (laughs) And he just cuts the fucking roof off of the car. And he's he tells uh, Richter to just, you know, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. And then, yeah, they they fucking teleport and they're right outside the X-Factor offices. And Guido was like, oh, great. With all the money we saved on gas, you guys can start repaying for the hood to be fixed. Yeah. And I love how the teleportation gate was in the shape of an X, too. He exported them. Huh? Ah, <laughs> uh, you like that? Yeah, Ex- that was good. Exported. Uh-huh. Uh, so anyway, in all this, as the team is fighting Cortex in the present... He pulls off his hood, and it turns out that Cortex is a fucking dupe of Madrox. Boom! Yeah, big boom there. Big shock there. But Doom pulls him into the future and orders him to kill all mutants. And so that was kind of random. But then again, Dr. Doom is kind of a dick. Yeah, he took over He took over Cyclops. He said that the only people who could beat Doombots or whatever were people who were like mostly cybernetic. So he was able to take over Scott because yeah. he is mostly cybernetic. That was that was really sad. I didn't like that because then Ruby because then Ruby had to uh, fucking fight him. Yeah, but I honestly would have liked to have seen a longer battle between Ruby and Scott than it was. Yeah, it was basically the Star Wars thing. Like your Schwartz is as big as mine. <laughs> what? And yeah, remember Spaceballs? Yeah, that's different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Same thing. <laughs> so Cortex takes out Fitzroy, kills him, blasts him through the head, um, and then Ruby goes fucking apeshit and makes Jamie go get Layla. Ruby wanted Jamie to get Layla because, yeah, so her power was never knowing things. Uh, her power the whole time was the uh, resurrection thing that she could do. Which I think this is the first time that we saw this. Yes, it was. So, yeah, this is when we actually learn that Layla is a mutant. You know, she has powers that aren't just, like, I've been to the future. You know, Ruby is, like, begging her to save uh, Fitzroy and... Layla is trying to tell her, like, no, I can't do that. It's different than, you know, a bee or a seal or something. Like, I can make them reanimated, but, like, they won't have their souls anymore. And Ruby's like, I don't give a fuck, Layla. Just do it. I want my dick fit. So she does, and that's great because apparently he's the only one that can deal with Cortex. Yeah, 
And so that was kind of sad, you know? I mean, Layla had said earlier, you know, about, you know, Jamie was like, well, we got to take out Fitzroy. And Layla's like, no, we can't. But you could even see here at that moment, Layla hesitated. Layla knew that this was going to have to happen and she still didn't want to fucking do it because she knew it was going to happen to Fitzroy. She knew the bad shit that he was going to, he was going to accomplish and hit in his future because of what she was about to do to him. And so, yeah, it sounds like a silly plot device, but I thought that that was a really interesting way of, of doing this because I remember vaguely reading this when it was coming out and seeing Fitzroy show up in this story as a quote unquote good guy. Like, what the fuck? What are you what are you talking about? <laughs> this guy killed my babies. What the fuck are you saying? He's a good guy. Now in the meantime, Jamie is trying to fight Cortex, and of course Cortex flips out a gun and shoots him. They have a mutant healer as part of the rebellion. And so this guy uh, manages to mostly heal Jamie, but then Cortex gets up and goes after the healer, kills him, is about to kill Jamie, like actually kill him. Fucking all of a sudden, the fucking like boardwalk, the Atlantic City boardwalk fucking breaks out from underneath him and Fitzroy grabs Cortex and just fucking sucks the life force out of him. So that's why Fitzroy was like uniquely qualified to deal with Cortex because it seemed like no matter what anybody was fucking doing to him, he had been, like, upgraded. He seemed like he was, like, part machine or some shit. And Fitzroy basically just drained the life out of him. Which made me question why they emphasized so much about this Hecate that we barely even saw. I agree. I, I agree. But I feel like... Well, that's assuming they don't have access to the future and maybe... Her power set seemed to be the most detrimental. You, do you remember um, Damon? He was shown maybe in like one issue. Yes. Yeah, the guy who was like on fire all the time. You would think that maybe that guy would pose more of a threat. But at the same time, Hecate could cause localized blackouts. There was the one shot of them in action where she blacked out the Sentinel's head and it allowed the team to attack it. And the Sentinel basically couldn't do anything because it couldn't see. That's a pretty neat power, but I get exactly what you're saying. And I agree. I don't feel like they showed her or any of them other than Ruby in action enough for them to be too consequential where it was like, oh shit, this person is really dangerous to, you know, for us to want to kill her mom they they should have like elaborated a little bit more on the summer's rebellion in action i did really enjoy this story overall i did but one of my criticisms of it is we should have seen more of the summer's rebellion in action this could have been an additional single issue and i feel like that would have given us enough you know what i mean at least that's what i think yeah i agree um because while we did get you know ruby and I think that her powers were really cool and her design was really cool and everything. Um, we didn't get any personality from her. She was kind of just there. I mean, but that's that's also what we saw in like the early 90s with, you know, like Liefeld coming up with like 500 character designs <laughs> and not giving them any personality. Uh, yeah. But, you know, this this character was not going to be like, ever used again so i guess it didn't really matter kind of just like how people were with rasputin who is shown like twice and people were just like flipping out about her getting tattoos of her 
And, you know, she never had a personality either. Uh, Don't be mean. She was sweet. And Ruby was aggressive. I know these aren't, like, (laughs) deep character details, but there was something. I'm going to get a tattoo of of Rasputin and Ruby Summers now. I'm just letting you know. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, I love the fact that Layla told Cyclops, this is what you're going to name your kid. You're going to name your kid Ruby. Yeah. Uh, because Jamie was like, is that your real name? And she was like, yeah, Layla named me. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I, I, I love that. Yeah, I, I agree. We could have seen more um, because we didn't get too much from these characters. I really, really love this series. This volume is really good, but it makes more sense to read it from the beginning and not just like start with this you know, this particular story. I think it, like, gives you a little bit more context. But, yeah, either way, this is a really great story, and you should read all of (laughs) X-Factor. Yeah, and if you're going to start with it, I would say start with um, the Madrox miniseries, because that sort of leads directly into X-Factor Volume 3 and the whole detective agency thing. Because, yeah, if you start, like... X-Factor special, Layla Miller, is where we started, and that's where this story starts, and it ends with issue 50, but it is still helpful to read everything that leads up to it um, beforehand, because by the time because by the time you start with this, all these characters have already been introduced in, um, you know, as part of X-Factor investigations, um, so it, it would definitely help to, to go back and start from the beginning. But still, yeah, this was, uh, this was a great story. Um, and it ends basically with uh, with us finding out exactly how Layla Miller knows all of this stuff. Because sure, you when you when you first meet her, she is either a teenager or a pre-teenager, and then she lives her time in the future in Atlantic City. And you know, then she's a woman, and she comes back and she grabs Jamie and pulls him into the future. Uh, but how does she get to know all this stuff to begin with? Well, it's because she jumps to the past. And she puts all this stuff into her younger self's head, which was really weird, but at least it was an explanation for it. You know, that was a really weird scene where, you know, like 30 or 20 something year old Layla is sitting with pre-teenage Layla and then zaps all this information into her head. Into her head and it's like, well, now it's your turn. Now you go to, you got to go fucking uh, make sure the future turns out the way it's supposed to turn out. And I got to go do what I've got to go do. Screw Jamie. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, yeah, like I said, I really like how this all started out with all these separate moving parts and it all sort of converged by the end because each separate piece was enjoyable, but it it made more sense once it all connected with this Cortex character and once we found out who he was. Even though it's kind of a silly reveal, oh, you're just an evil Jamie dupe, but it was still kind of neat because he was really scary, to be honest. He just fucking, like, stabbed the cop for bothering him and then fried the pigeons that were picking at him. Um, and he was really easily able to take over Shatterstar and Monet, especially Monet. Like, that's not an easy thing to do. And he did it. Oh, and she was pissed? Yeah, she was really pissed. The future timeline was like a drawn-out Days of Future Past. And that was interesting to see. I like how it took place in Atlantic City because fucking Jersey represent. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I mean, Peter David gave a lot of these characters and a lot of the plot a lot of personality. And he's really good at that. And he was really good at making some of it funny, too. 
even though some of it was problematic, like I said, I feel like his his writing, the dialogue for the most part was on point and it was really enjoyable. Um, even the time travel and plot twists that are kind of silly tropes, it was still fun. And it was funny too. He's really funny. Yeah. Uh, my favorite part of this arc was in that awkward car ride with Guido when he's like driving on the highway or whatever and he was like he was like talking to Richter and he's like well you know are you gay are you straight do you swing both ways and when he said like do you swing both ways he sticks his hand out the window because there was a jumper on the bridge (laughs) over him yeah and he's like the guy who jumped is like no, I I actually have a wife, and Guido is like, I wasn't talking to you, and he just throws him. <laughs> yeah, he throws him over the car into the bushes, and was like, if you do this again, I'll come back and find you. <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. That was really funny. I, I did. I really liked that. Yeah. So yeah, this was a uh, this story really. I mean. It was basically just one fucking story that ran through 11 issues. And I just, that's nuts. That's nuts how there were all these moving parts that came together. And obviously it wasn't perfect, but it was really good. Um, So this is definitely, I would highly recommend this. Again, though, if you want to get the full background of this whole thing, you have to start with the Madrox miniseries because that sets up X-Factor Volume 3 and... This series, X-Factor Volume 3, does go on for 50 issues. And then this was the popular thing around that time was uh, sort of restart series at these big numbers. So I don't know if you remember, we were at one volume of Uncanny and it was like issue 20 something. And all of a sudden it was Uncanny X-Men 600 because there had been 600 issues. So that's what happened with this. It's it's kind of silly, but that was the popular thing to do at the time. It makes me so mad. <laughs> Just pick a fucking numbering system. Do you remember, I don't know if you were reading regularly then, do you remember their point .1 system? That was fun. Yes. It was when they had, like, in-between issues. Yeah, jumping on points. So points one. Yeah. Yeah. Get it? Get the point? I, yes. <laughs> All right, so do you miss Layla or are you glad she butter flew away? Don't shits in a fits. We'll Ruby right back after the commercial break. Hello, Jean. How's quarantine, darling? Oh, hi, Emma. There's a Grey's Anatomy marathon on right now. That sounds nice, darling. But have you seen the new content on geekhead.com? Like the Stone Age Gamer podcast reaching its 300th episode? And the Waveback Music podcast reaching its 100th episode? Exactly, darling. And if there's one thing that Emma Frost loves besides redheads, it's video games. And I sure love the new articles about music, anime, and wrestling. Oh, I'm feeling in the mood for some wrestling right now, darling. And there's always something new on Geekade's Twitch channel. Well... If you're in the mood for gaming, I've got some buttons for you to push. But, but Grey's Anatomy... The only Grey's Anatomy I'm interested in is Gene Grey's Anatomy. Check out geekade.com today! 
so so yeah, we did the question and answer last time, uh, and we got a handful of questions on Twitter. I decided to do it again on Instagram, and at first we only got a few, and now it looks like we got a whole bunch more. Uh, so let's see, <laughs> let's see what we can do first. So the frog-like drummer says, "Of all the X-Men, who do you think is the most generous lover, and why?" Probably Alex Summers. Because he has the most to prove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like your answer. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> All right, fine. Next question comes from Cobal Schmicky. How did you guys get into reading Experiencing X-Men? The cartoon from the 90s. And then I started picking up the comics around when X-23 first came up because I saw her design and I thought it was cool. Nice. Uh, for me, it was the uh, local convenience store had a spinner rack, and I saw the cover of X-Force number five, and I fell in love then. Um, but also the 90s cartoon kind of really helped like reinforce my love of mutants and of the X-Men. All right, so let's see. Rebirth of Mercy, a.k.a. Rom, says... Why is there still no Mojo World Marvel X-Men series featuring Mojo, Major Domo, Dazzler, Ricochet Rita, Spiral, Quark, Longshot, Lady Deathstrike, and her Reavers created in Spiral's infamous outer dimensional body shop labs? Mojo 2, Arise, Gog and Magog, the X-Men, the baby X-Men, and of course, Kitty Pride, etc. All right, so I would recommend that this person, first of all, thank you for the question. Uh, you might be better suited to direct that at Marvel and not us. Uh, I don't have an answer. <laughs> I don't have an answer. I am uh, okay with the way things are on Krakoa. That's just me personally. So Patty, you go ahead. <laughs> I feel like this is awesome. That's a great <laughs> idea. It's book that we can have Dazzler in charge. Kind of like Charles in charge, and... but, but Dazzler's in charge of our days <laughs> and of our nights. Dazzler's in yes. charge of our wrongs and our rights. And I see, I want Dazzler in charge of me. I want Dazzler <laughs> in charge of me. <laughs> um, yeah, it seems like you have a really well-developed plan. I feel like they kept trying to push the Starjammers on us as, like, they were going to get their own series because, like, they just expected us to know so much and care about the Starjammers. I'm like, stop trying to make Fetch happen. It's not going to happen. And I never felt that way about, like, Mojo Worlds, but, like, all of the confusion and stuff that we've had over the years, uh, if they could actually retcon um, Longshot and Shatterstar being each other's dads and come up with literally anything else... I'm sure the world would be happier for it. I, that seems to be a major sticking point for you. I don't mind that yes. so much. All right, next. EJ Cotton, 79. What would be your personal Mount Rushmore of X-Men writers and or your Mount Rushmore of X-Men artists? All right, so here's the deal. Patty, you take one of those and I'll take the other one. You want writers or artists? Fine, I'll do writers. Okay. Claremont. I really don't want to put Stanley on my mountain. Sorry. Uh, what? <laughs> Damn. Uh, do, should, do I have to put him on my mountain? No. I feel I'm like not I going... have to put him on my mountain. 
You don't have to. It's just, it's surprising. That's all. <laughs> I mean, his writing is so bad. Fine, I'll put him on there. Okay. I'm going to put Nisi Aza on there. Okay. And I am... <laughs> Uh, you know what? I'm I'm gonna play a wild card here. Uh, I'm gonna put Chuck Austin on there. Man, I knew you were gonna say that. I'm glad this is our quote unquote <laughs> final episode. <laughs> we're about to lose all of our subscribers anyway. <laughs> all right, fine. All right, so I'll take uh I'll take artists. So I'm going to put Jack Kirby. I'm going to put John Byrne, uh, even though he's a giant piece of shit. Maybe we can put him up there and then just graffiti the fuck out of his face. Uh, I'm going to (laughs) put Dave Cockrum up there, the old cocky Cockrum. And uh, I mean, I want to say, I mean, the obvious one, two is probably Jim Lee, but I would rather pick Paul Smith. Um, because screw you guys. If you get to pick Chuck Austin, <laughs> I get to pick Paul Smith. All right. Okay. Uh, okay. I you guys you guys know that I don't actually like Chuck Austin. I would actually put Peter David up there instead. All right. Melvin's Cars and Comics asks, "Who's your favorite comic book couple?" No, this is any comic book. I'm trying to think of other comic books, and I just keep thinking about X-Men. <laughs> so I'll just go with X-Men. Yeah, Alex and Lorna are my favorite couple. I mean, I feel like the obvious one for me would be Scott and Emma. But Ew. <laughs> but I'm not even sure if they're my favorite. You know, I really... um When I was reading New Avengers regularly for a while back in the day... I really liked um, Luke Cage and Jessica Jones. I felt like they were a really solid couple. You know, I mean, recently I read a Jessica Jones miniseries and they were still together and they still seemed fine to make it for this long. I mean, like I said, they just seemed like a really solid couple and I kind of loved them. They did break up for a while. And I feel like it's just part of like comic books. They won't ever let us be happy. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, it makes for more conflict, you know, so it makes sense. But yeah, I mean, I don't remember too many like details of reading Avengers related titles at that time. But I remember thinking that they were really solid and really liking them together. Romir 616, uh, favorite slash best costumes for your favorite character? What's your favorite Jean costume? Yeah, I understand the question. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to go with uh, the green phoenix costume. Pyro has not had too many variations. I don't know. I mean, they're all similar anyway. Uh, what I was gonna, I was gonna bring up Emma as the Black King. I thought that that was badass because she's one of my favorite characters. So whatever, uh, that counts. All right, the mutant menace uh, says, "What was your favorite slash funniest moment in the history of recording mutant musings?" So now, if I did more thinking about this or went back and listened to some episodes, I may come up with a different answer. But I think one of my favorite slash funniest moments was when Patty meant to say Jubilee, 
but ended up saying Jabooey. <laughs> I completely <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favorite fucking moments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree because that was really funny. <laughs> okay. All right. Gaspacho Jones, who would be on your all female team reboot plus writer and artist? Uh, all right. So I am going to take Emma. I'm going to take the Cuckoos. I'm going to take Nature Girl. I'm going to take. No, that's too many. You, can, you can't have that many. He didn't tell me how many. This is a question. So I'm answering it the way I want to answer it. Fine. <laughs> all right. I'm taking Emma. I'm taking the Cuckoos. I'm taking Pixie. I'm taking Nature Girl. I'm taking Dust. And I'm taking Gabby. And I am putting Leah Williams as the writer. And I am going to put Stephanie Hans on art. And even though this is going to be a very humorous book, and Stephanie Hans does, like, fine art painting, it's going to fucking work, and I'm going to love it. So now your turn. You go ahead. Okay. I am going to have... Jean, X-23, Magic, Polaris, Pixie, Boom Boom. Is that it? Am I? Oh, uh, and Gabby. And let's see. Who can write it? Okay. So I want it to be written by Wheezy, Louise Simonson. And I want Guru Hero on art. Oh, my God. That's so good. Fuck. Right? <laughs> Damn. You had your uh, chance. Whatever, fine. All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mated asks, uh, if you could swap out one of the original X-Men for another character, who would it be and why? I'm going to take out Scott. Um, I'm going to take out Xavier. Garen plays <laughs> Xavier with Magneto. And I'm going to replace <laughs> Scott with a tree because he gives a fuck. Okay, fine. <laughs> I am going to... Yeah, yeah. That's that's real funny. Uh you take out take out Scott and replace him with a bowl of soup. You're so funny, Patty. You're so funny. I'm gonna take out I'm taking out Gene and I'm replacing Gene with Emma. Alright, next question. You're such a uh... fog. <laughs> okay. Uh Lego X Men Unlimited asks, what do you think the most bittersweet moment in X-Men is? And w there's probably a lot more options if I were to sit down and really think about this. But the first one that jumps to my mind is in X-Factor Volume 1, number one, when Scott walked into the room and Jean was waiting there after a bunch of years of her being quote-unquote dead and then coming to face-to-face -to -face for the first time. To me, that felt bittersweet. So that's what I'm going with. Well, uh, there was that whole thing uh, when Cable died last time to save the world. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, everybody was like, oh, yay, the world is saved. And Hope is just sitting there holding his arm crying. That wasn't the last time Cable died. It was the time before that. But I knew I knew what you meant. Yeah. That I works. don't even remember what the fuck he saved the world from that time. <laughs> Does it matter anymore? You say no, it, it's all right. it doesn't fucking matter. Okay. X-Men 90s asks, favorite X-Men the Animated Series episode? And it's been a long time since I watched that regularly. Uh, maybe, I think the episode is literally called Slave Island. 
a bunch of mutants were trapped on Genosha and ended up breaking out. And I thought that that was badass. And that's that's all I can say. I have not revisited those episodes since the early 2000s when I was in the single digits. So mm-hmm. um, I have to pass until we can rewatch it okay. on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> Five-star Denny's review. What's your saddest, most emotional X-Men moment? So I feel like I should say it's one of the times that Jean died. But I'm going to say when uh magic died well yeah yeah Yeah. that was that was really hard uh like iliana rasputin like de-aged back to like seven had uh after inferno was like reverted back to like a little kid had the legacy virus and died that was really tough yeah that was tough that really was tough i think for me it is um the final issue of x23's first miniseries uh with the trigger scent and she killed her mom um and curled up with her in the snow that made me cry that made me cry i think every time that i've read it i've read it only a few times but still that that makes me cry that was a good one yeah shadow hero do you guys collect any x-men figures statues pops toys etc i do not i have a handful of those things um but i do not collect them Patty has gotten me the Funkos that I have, which is four out of the five of the original X-Men, plus Emma in her diamond form, and an Emma statue. I have a Domino statue and an old Harley Quinn statue. You have a lot more than I do. (laughs) Yeah, those are all of the uh, one brands that I can't think of now. The Bishojus. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I have the Jubilee one of the Bishoju statue. I have the Kitty one. And uh, I have a Harley one. I also have a really, really nice uh, Jean as the Black Queen that, that Jonathan got for me. I have a few Funko Pops. I have X-23 in the Wolverine suit. I have a bunch of Gwenpools. I have a bunch of Spider-Gwens. I have that diamond emma too because i figured i could resell it oh i have juggernaut i think that's it i forget i might have old man logan (laughs) i think we got all of the questions in good uh so thank you guys thank you guys so much for for asking your questions that was fun i've had fun every time we do this there's always a couple of specifically interesting questions so thanks again we still have some more classic comics to talk about so somebody suggested uh, that we, I, I, I was genuinely looking for suggestions. I had a couple of ideas already uh, cooking for what we could discuss on our quote unquote final episode. Somebody suggested all of New X-Men volume two and no, just absolutely fucking not. But this is one of my favorite, I say this all the time. It's one of my favorite X-Men series ever. You know, we both love Craig Kyle and Chris Yost, and we both both love this series. So why not just pick an arc from this series uh, that they wrote, uh, and we'll discuss that. And uh, so Patty picked Mercury Falling, and Mercury does fall, and she does fall quite hard. This was very sad. This is a very sad story for Mercury. So this opens with Laura watching Hellion trying to train in the danger room, and Emma confronts Laura about the trigger scent. Emma knows about the trigger scent, what happens to Laura when she's exposed to it, 
And Emma basically thinks that it would be best if Laura left the school. And Mercury overhears that and is like, are you fucking kidding me? She helped save all of us when we were fighting against Nimrod and you want her to leave. And so here's the thing. I get Emma's concern. I don't agree with Emma actually legitimately thinking that Laura should leave. But I do agree with Emma being concerned about Laura and the trigger scent. I, cause I know Patty, I know you're going to unload on Emma being a bitch here. Um, and I don't completely disagree, but I also feel like after Emma lost the Hellions, she doesn't want to see more. And especially after all that's happened in this series so far, M day, the bus explosion, everything that these kids have been through, Emma doesn't want to see more children die. And is concerned that if somebody really wants to fuck with the X-Men, get a hold of the trigger scent, douse it on some of the students, and let Laura kill them all. Um, so I do understand Emma's concern. Obviously, Laura doesn't leave the school and doesn't quit the X-Men, and so I'm glad. But yeah, Emma, Emma was wrong there. Thank you. Thank you for saying Emma was wrong. <laughs> I get where she's coming from, but it was really fucked up. And she could have said, listen, I know you have this trigger scent that causes you to kill anybody, everybody, whatever. You know how they have the fucking Wolverine protocols? Just make her Wolverine protocols. You know, we have this huge fucking school. We have all of these science people on staff. We will find a cure for it so you don't have to worry about it. And you can grow up like a normal girl. Nope, that's not it. After everything that she went through in the facility and, you know, she she still can't relate to these kids and to just be like, sorry, I'm just throwing you out to the wolves. It's it's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And and I feel like Emma thought that that would be like sacrificing one for the good of the many as opposed to figuring out how to help that one. Exactly. Um have her become part of the many she obviously had so many emotional issues very clearly illustrated throughout this series um not being able to relate to these other students and that would have just made it worse now emma's treatment of laura does come back by the end of this arc in an amazing way but yeah, I feel like we needed to open the discussion about this arc with this because it was at the beginning. It does come back later. And also there's more to be said here, I think, than just Emma's a bitch. But anyway, fucking uh, some soldier type people seem to be keeping tabs on the students and ready to go after them. They have like um, specs on, I think, Rock Slide, on Dust on Laura, and it seems like Kimura is with them too. So we figure if Kimura's there, that it has something to do with Laura because Kimura is a big antagonist of Laura. But at the school, Mercury realizes Laura has a crush on Julian and is like, oh my God, we should go get coffee and talk about it. And, you know, Mercury is being like this bubbly teenage girl about it and like, oh, you know, crush or whatever and like happy and like, let's go out and talk about it. And Rockslide is like, are we allowed to go out now? Can I come too? And Mercury's like, no. And Rockslide's like, Rockslide's like, oh, Hulk, sad. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. 
<laughs> I love him. I love him so much. But then we cut to the facility, which is still in operation. There's this guy. Oh, what the fuck was his name? Dr. Harkins. He's got a test subject in this pen. And it's Mamomax, who is basically like this mammoth-looking mutant. Yeah, he's going to be some sort of I a... don't remember this guy. He was uh, briefly part of, I think, Exodus's Brotherhood. Um, and he, he makes ref. <sighs> He yeah, he makes reference to it too. He's like, "Oh, Exodus and the Brotherhood will come for me." So then, uh, Mercury and Laura are out at a cafe to eat, and you know they're just trying to relax. Mercury starts trying to push the questions on Laura about her liking Julian, and she really doesn't want to talk about it. And she smells something, and there's like explosion. Soldiers come in. Kamura's agents knew Laura was out with one of the other students. And so when the place explodes, Laura tells Mercury to run, but Kimura came for Mercury. Again, we figure, you know, Kimura was an antagonist in uh, X-23 Target X, the miniseries. So we figure, like, oh, she's coming for Laura, but no, she was coming for Mercury, and we don't know why yet. But that stinks because Mercury is a sweetie pie, and now she's going to be in trouble. Yeah, she was one of the best girls from that group. And we have not seen her or most of these kids since then. Yeah, not many of them anyway. So then we get a flashback to when Cecily's mutant powers manifested. She was from Oregon. She looked human, looked like a normal human person, woke up one morning, went into the bathroom, into the mirror, and her skin started turning silver. And then she just started fucking melting. She was screaming in like this fucking puddle of goop, screaming for her dad. And um, Kimura and the soldiers got Mercury and, and they got away. And so X-23 goes back to the mansion to... Grab some stuff. And so Julian sees her and asks, where's Mercury? And X-23 is like, she got taken. I'm going to find her. And Julian's like, I'm coming with you. And she said no. And he says yes. And she's like, okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> He kind of like floats them around and she just starts beating up on people trying to find out where they took Mercury. And Julian was like, you can't kill anybody. And she's like, why? These people work for the facility. They're all evil. Yeah. And I kind of wish she could kill them because like he isn't even in the picture. He did not know what was going down there. And that should be her decision. But Rockslide, Loa, and uh, Anole are watching TV in the background. And Rockslide heard about the Young Avengers for the first time. And he's like, what? There are Young Avengers? We should just go start a fight with them. <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> he goes, who's their strong guy? And one of them says Hulkling. And he goes, what kind of name is Hulkling? Lame. Yeah, he's he's so funny. <laughs> He had some of, like, the legitimately funniest moments in this arc. Probably some of the only funny moments. Like, they just kept him, kept giving him this stupid, funny dialogue. And, and I absolutely love that about him. And honestly, he didn't really do too much until, until like, maybe the final issue. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he, he was really funny. But, yeah, so Laura and Hellion are just trying to shake down these assholes to find out where the facility is, um, where they're operating out of now. And uh, at the facility, they let some gross-looking fucking animal thing into the holding with Mamomax. And Cecily is pleading with them 
to let her go. Like, what do you want with me? And Kimura is like, we want your flesh. And, you know, Cecily goes, my friends will come for me. And Kimura is like, funny, that's what the elephant said. And then there's just fucking one panel of Mammo Max's skeleton left. Nothing but his skeleton. And that was scary as fuck. Like, the art in this in this arc was was okay. It was pretty good. Some of it was great, but, you know, most of it was at least good looking. But that was legitimately scary, seeing just the skeleton of, of him left. I thought this was really funny. So as Julian and Laura are trying to find out where the facility is operating, they come across Owl. And I thought it was hilarious how badass Owl thinks he is. Owl thinks he's, like, so much more powerful and much scarier than he actually is. Like, when he threatens Julian. It was just so goddamn funny. Uh, fucking, after Owl threatens Julian, uh, they Julian grabs him and, like, flies up into the sky and was like, answer our questions or I'm gonna drop you and see if this owl can fly. I'm like, this guy just look. He looks like an owl. He has, like, no powers. He can't do anything. What are you going to do to these two fucking mutants who could, like, kill you? So I thought that that was hilarious. But, you know, in the meantime, they start chopping off pieces of mercury, and they want it alive. Like, when they separate some of the mercury from her, it, like, moves around. And, like, some of it even as a defense mechanism, when they're trying to, like, cut Cecily, it, like, bursts out of the containment and stabs one of the guys that works there. And it, like, reminds me of the the symbiote, you know, fucking uh, the Venom symbiote. Oh, yeah, yeah. And how it wants to, like, attach to flesh. But it it was really sad and really scary to see her suffer like this. And, like, that's where we get Predator X from. Like, they made this thing, whatever it was. It didn't have any skin. And so they got Mercury. They took part of her and are planning on bonding this thing to fucking Predator X. And it's really sad. Like, I felt so fucking bad for, for Cecily. Yeah, it was it was really fucked up. And the good thing, at least, is that it seems like the flesh, like, she can at least kind of sense it. So she, she kind of knows where it is, uh, even though it's, like, not part of her anymore. And I don't remember if this, like, actually affected her in any way once she got out. That she had, like, less skin. No, I honestly, I don't think that it did. Also, I feel like it's been a while because she hasn't been featured regularly since this series. We've seen her, but she hasn't been featured like this. I feel like that's something that they never did with her powers. Uh, I could be wrong, but um, I I guess it was painful for, for her to come apart like that. But, I mean, it'd be interesting if she would be able to kind of hone that. If she would be able to separate herself without it being painful and control different parts of her, like make dupes of herself or something, you know what I mean? I feel like that would be super interesting. Oh, well, I wasn't even like thinking about going that far. I was kind of thinking more like shooting bullets out of herself. That would be cool too. Fuck. I mean, I feel like... Or like making self knives or something. I feel like she's got a lot of potential with the with like you know just with her power set and it kind of stinks that we haven't seen her featured in a series or on a team in so long so a one agent was apparently tailing laura and cecily and the x-men find out and they're going to use cerebra to find out where laura and julian went so emma finds julian and laura just as they disappear from cerebra's reach because they do find where the facility is and on their way in 
Julian is like, I don't know you, Laura. I don't know anything about you. Who are you? What are you? I don't know. And I'm like, that's not exactly compelling dialogue, but he's kind of right. Um, and this, you know, this was back when, you know, Laura didn't know, like, how to talk to people, how to interact with people. She was still so emotionally damaged from the facility and from fucking on the streets in New York City. But she had a crush on him. And it was just, you know, it was extra awkward because of that. But yeah, Laura and Julian end up showing up at the at the facility. They break in. And now Predator X has some of Mercury's skin on it. And it was like really fucking terrifying to see that. And Julian is being a little bitch because he won't kill Kimura. X-23 says, I can't kill her myself. She can't feel pain. She doesn't get hurt. You could create, like, a bubble in her brain oh, yeah. that kills her. Yeah. And and he says no. And I'm like, bro, you don't even know what this fucking bitch put her through. Like, come on. Like, do her a solid. <laughs> that was, like, she tortured her. So she deserves to die. Yeah. As much as a jackass as he was, he, you know, he towed the X-Men line and said, no, I'm not going to cross this line and I'm not going to kill. But anyway, Julian ends up fucking launching her way up into the sky and she lands 27 miles away. So she's out of the picture for now. And so they find Mercury. She is having trouble staying together and they're trying to, you know, escape the facility. Hellion is carrying Cecily on his back. And then fucking boom, the X-Men, the students, the one, they all show up. There's this big fight. And, uh, you know, obviously they win. They save Cecily. Unfortunately, one of the Predator X's is shown getting away. And that comes back a little bit later. But Laura tells Emma that Emma was right. She should have left the school. And now Cecily will never be the same. And you can tell Emma is about to say... Like, I'm sorry, or I was wrong, but but she doesn't. But still, you know? I mean, Cecily went through maybe, like, not even a full day in the facility, and that is where Laura grew up. So it's not quite the same level of trauma, but it's still trauma nonetheless. Having your body fucking ripped apart like that and ripped off of you, being stripped naked and, and chained up like that, and being treated as a fucking experiment rather than a person... That was one day poor fucking Cecily had to deal with that. And that's scary. That's really scary. Yeah, so Mercury just basically says that she can feel that Predator X got away. And, you know, like I said, that comes back in Messiah Complex. And I believe, again, on uh, when the X-Men got to Utopia. But this is where that came from. But in the epilogue, there are two epilogues to this. Epilogue one, Cecily cries and hugs Laura and is basically like, I can't believe, Laura, that you grew up in that place. Um, and that's, you know, where they, where they have, yeah, they have a really, a really sweet and sad moment there. But, but this, this is amazing. And I implore everybody to read New X-Men Volume 2, first of all, because it's amazing. But, but this is one of my favorite, if not my favorite Emma Frost moment ever. So Kimura shows up. She's outside the school, somewhat on the ground. She's got like a fucking sniper rifle or something there. And she's going to shoot Laura. But Emma finds her and shuts down her motor control and just just reads Kimura. Your shitty upbringing with your abusive alcoholic father and an uncaring mother. The bullies at school, but you had a sweet grandmother. 
who tried to help you and was sweet to you, but by then it was too late and you became the bully. And then you grew up and you found these men at the facility and you became exactly what those people did to you and you became a bully. And then you fucking did it anyway to X-23. You were the bully and X-23 was your victim. And Kimura is like sweating and like, why are you telling me all this? And Emma's like, you've taken those that X-23 loved from her and now I'm returning the favor. And Kimura's crying and is like, what did you do? And... Emma says, I've taken your grandmother from you, the only person you ever, who ever showed you love and kindness, and in her place in your memory, I've left a deep void that will cause you pain for a lifetime. And then Emma leaves a directive in Kimura's head to go kill everyone left at the facility. And that was fucking amazing. Patty, that was amazing. That is like the best most Emma Frost thing that Emma Frost has ever Emma Frosted. I love that so fucking much. Yeah, it was a pretty kick-ass moment. She should have told her to also kill herself once she killed everybody else. But uh, yeah, that was a badass moment. Yeah, good. Well, then I'm glad we're in agreement to a degree. (laughs) And then epilogue two is just Amanda Sefton lands in Germany. And and we talked about Quest for Magic before Halloween. So this was a this was a great story. This was a great series. The, even though this story was really rough, the conflict was very real. You know, these kids just had fucking catastrophe after catastrophe. I just I can't stress enough how bad I felt for Mercury because she was she was sweet. She was really powerful. She barely had time to recover before she was thrown into fucking limbo after this. The dialogue was great. The art was solid. But again, just what this culminated in, that that final, the, the, the final few pages of Mercury understanding somewhat what Laura went through. Because to this point, Laura had nobody who understood her. And she even had family, you know? She had her aunt and her cousin from that X-23 Target X miniseries who didn't even know her. You know, her own mother knew what she went through, but she killed her own mom. You know, and she had Logan, who understood to a degree, but was like, go off and be with kids and, you know, join the X-Men. She still didn't identify with any of these kids. But now, now somebody sort of understands what Laura went through. And it's Cecily. And so when they cry and they hug at the end, there is a fucking bittersweet moment, actually. There is a good example of a bittersweet moment. All right. Last comic we're talking about is uh, a suggestion from Classic X Books. And uh, this is a great suggestion because this is a really fun issue. And I thought this would be a fun one to end on. It's New Mutants number 21, the Slumber Party issue uh, by Chris Claremont and Bill Sienkiewicz from 1984. It was a good year. So yeah, so this is literally supposed to be a fucking slumber party. It is not just um, mutants in the mansion, like the new mutants. It's uh, some teenage girls from school. So, yeah, why not? Um, So Danny got released from the hospital after the whole fucking demon bear thing, but she's still in a wheelchair. And I loved this dialogue. Danny says, I'd prefer being out of the chair as well. That music's infectious. I want to boogie. (laughs) I want to boogie Chris Claremont. That's what the kids were saying. 
I want to boogie. Yep, 1984, I want to boogie. Chris Claremont was definitely all with the hip, the hip slang. Excuse me, you were just born, you wouldn't have known what the slang was? What? What? <laughs> it's it's cute, though. So you have, like, these human kids, these girls, who are just, like, whispering shit to each other. And it's cute, because Lockheed is listening in on them, and he's, like, laughing to himself. And this thing comes hurtling in from outer space. We know it's Warlock. Uh, we don't really know him yet, because he hasn't even landed yet. Um, and this is the thing that we saw fly by during the demon, uh, during the demon bear story arc. And yeah, so this was his real, his actual introduction into the comics. So like all the fucking girls, they're, they're drooling over Michael Jackson and Tom Selleck. And it's hilarious. And Rain is being super awkward. Like, ah, oh, this isn't the place for me. I shouldn't be here. I wasn't brought up to talk like this. I'm just a wee lost. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hilarious and like all the girls are whispering to each other and they they fucking run and jump and tackle rain and it's like it's like a makeover time for her and she started freaking out and transforming and i was like shut the fuck up rain nobody likes you <laughs> why are you being so mean she's just a wee bairn <laughs> she always pissed me off <laughs> God, I feel like you should have some solidarity with a fellow redhead, Patty. Oh, no, I hate her. Okay, fine. But she looked real pretty. Uh, Bobby and Sam were hanging out outside, you know, away from the girls, because this is like, you know, a girl slumber party. Uh, but then Sam comes back up, and Rain opens the door, and he doesn't even recognize her. And she gets mad and, like, hits him and slams the door. But she did. She looked real cute. But... The girls are doing a summoning circle, and it was so cute. Again, I love Lockheed. He's just chilling out, sitting on Ilyana's head, and one of the girls is like, I've never seen a stuffed animal look so realistic. Oh, that was adorable. But anyway, it looks like Sam is swimming naked with Bobby. Yeah, he's skinny dipping with his best friend around. That's what we do with our best friends. Uh, we let them watch us skinny dip. Am I right? Yeah. That's right. That's what I do. I mean, you're both dudes who cares, right? Right, that's what we do. You just whip your dick out and sword fight. Yeah. So, yeah, so this meteor, alleged meteor hits, and then fucking they put it in the lab because, you know, it, it looks like a meteor. They don't know that this is Warlock. And then this thing wakes up and tries to power itself up in the outlet, and all the power to the mansion goes out. This, this fucking thing eats a plant and then finds the fridge, and then Lockheed finds Warlock, and spits fire at him, and from off-panel, there's this fucking, like, dialogue box with a scared face of Warlock, and it's, like, really cute. But, you know, again, we don't know what this thing is yet, and I remember seeing Warlock a little bit when I was a kid, um, in a couple of the back issues of New Mutants that I had, but I remember specifically reading this issue at a friend's house when I was maybe, like, seven years old, and just being freaked out by the way that he looked. And by Sienkiewicz's art. And this isn't, this wasn't even like a demon bear story, you know? Like darker Sienkiewicz art. This was, you know, I think a little bit more lighthearted. And it was still, the art was just so weird to me when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah, it definitely is really like, I don't even know what the word is particular. It's got like something that I don't really see like any other artist do. Which is like, I don't know, some of it feels like too choppy, like he just kind of like sketched really quick. But like 
you can make out what everything is. It's just everything is so like sketchy. I don't know how to explain it. No, I I get you. Some some of it just seems like abstract at times. Yeah, that's a good way to explain it. And uh, I don't think that there is a better artist uh, than Sienkiewicz to first draw Warlock. Yeah, I agree. Because he really got to do whatever the fuck he wanted. And I don't think any other artist could have pulled this off as well. So Ileana sees this thing running around and summons a demon from Limbo. And Warlock eats that too. He transforms that. And so Rain finds him and then Magma blasts him and Sam blasts him. And Sam says he looks like a robot. But, you know, they they gather that Warlock has feelings because Roberto rips his limb off. Limb. <laughs> limb. Roberto rips one of his limbs off and Warlock screams. And then when Warlock gets back into the mansion, uh, he finds Danny. Danny is able to pull out his fear from his head. So he like knows. So we know that this thing is actually alive. It's not just a random robot. And the fear she pulls out is his father, Magus. Um, which is something that he said before. And so that's how Danny figures out this isn't a machine, that this is a living thing, and that it's scared of what's happening. Yeah, and uh, this is before Doug joins the team. So they have to go wake up Doug and basically tell him, like, hey, we're all mutants. You're actually a mutant (laughs) too, and we need your help talking to this weird robot thing that fell into our backyard. (laughs) And... So basically, they first start talking, like, in binary through the danger room. And uh, so Warlock uses the computer simulator to, like, show a visual of where he comes from, that babies are mass-produced and have to fight their fathers to the death in combat when they get older. And Warlock didn't want to do that, so he ran to the place where he found this power source, which was Earth and electricity. And uh, his dad is following him, but he is dying and he needs energy. And so Rain says to help him and they do. And he gets some electricity and he gets accepted into the new mutants. And yeah. Yeah. Happily ever after. Yeah. The end of the issue says a beginning. And then, you know, there's some dope pinups of, like, Cannonball, Magic, and Sunspot. So, yeah, so that was cute. You know, this this issue was great. It was a lot of fun. The art was gorgeous. I love how it started, you know, like, fun and bright and lighthearted. And then it turned sort of, like, scary and dark. Because, you know, I mean, I, I imagine anybody reading this for the first time, and not and especially at the time, not knowing what this thing was, it looked really freaky. It didn't just have like one shape. It, it kept changing its shapes. It was able to plug itself into power sources. You think it's a robot, but then you find out it's not. And it just got accepted. You know, these kids were just like, well, fuck, we want to help him. You know, he's not a mutant. He's literally a fucking alien, but he's different from his kind. You know, they realize that like, you know, this is one just fucking race of singularly connected organisms and you know they're born you grow up you fight your father to the death and the cycle keeps going this one didn't want to do that 
Um, so it decided to run away. So yeah, so the New Mutants took it in, and I don't know. I I really loved it. It was a heartwarming issue. Yeah, you know, Warlock became one of my favorite characters, and I I really like this story. That you know, it showed the kids having fun. Not that we ever really got to see them hanging out with like you know regular townies after this, but I mean, it was it was a really cute story. And I just like we we got to we got to meet Warlock. You know, he's one of my favorite characters. We kind of got that introduction of, you know, Doug and Warlock and their friendship that they would develop. But this was really a weird way to introduce Doug as a mutant character. Yeah, I don't feel like they knew what they were going to do with that. And it was just like, whoop, here you go. Also talk to this alien (laughs) but then but then the two of them ended up being you know like best friends and it's just kind of funny to look back now on this issue and they just had this quick brief introduction at the end like i think doug made a reference to um close encounters of the third kind uh you trying to like speak to each other in like notes or have some way of communicating and it's weird to to look back on that and see that like quick intro and then you know they became self-soul friends and now Warlock is hanging out on Doug's arm all the time. That's cute. Yeah, you could say he's his... Like a parrot. Or you could say Warlock is like his right-hand man. Am I right? Oh. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> okay, well, that'll do it for Mutant Musings, as we know it. Thanks for joining us, and don't forget to leave us a comment on geekade.com. Leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes or anywhere else you find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at mutant underscore musings underscore podcast, and on Twitter at mutant musings. Is New X-Men Volume 2 one of your favorite series? Do you want to see more Warlock on Krakoa? Join us for our summer series starting in July, and until then... Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Welcome to episode 69, Dudes of the new, of the Mutant Musings podcast. It's the middle of April 2020, and we'll be discussing some classic comics. I'm your host, Jonathan, and with me, as always, is my lady. Come, come, my lady, you're my butterfly sugar baby. Here's your friendly reminder that you can leave us a comment on this episode's webpage on geekade.com. Leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes or anywhere else you find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at mutant underscore musings underscore podcast and follow us on Twitter at mutant musings. Don't sleep on this exclusive offer to follow us as we should post about the X-Men. Also, don't sleep on my bed. No one else is allowed to sleep on my bed except for Patty. And not just any Patty. This is very specific and very special Patty. That means no burger Patty, no Patty cake, no Patty LaBelle. No Patty Whack, no Patty Mayonnaise, no Krabby Patty, no Chatty Patty, no Patty's Day, no Patty from Cincinnati, no Pad Thai, no Peppermint Patty, no Patty Duke, no Patty Wagon, and no Patty Boom Patty. Get away from my bed, all you Patty are driving me batty. And speaking of episode 69, can you believe it's our 69th episode? Let's all enjoy the 69 together. I'm super happy that you're 69ing with us right now. And we can officially say that you have 69 with the Mutant Musings. In fact, I hope someone makes I-69 with Mutant Musings into a fucking t-shirt. There's your explicit content warning.